as they're leaving, if you've got one of these worship flyers that you um, uh, were handed when you walked in, I hope what you'll do, I'm not going to say a whole lot about this except to say one thing has been added on here since this was uh, prepared, and that is that uh, Glory Moves will be uh, performing not only for the uh, 20th, but also the 19th. So those, uh, those dancers that we have uh, known to come and love uh, in our worship experiences at this church will be a part of both the Saturday and Sunday services uh, two weekends from now um, as they give us an interpretation of the story of Barabbas and uh, followed by a message on Barabbas. And so it'll be a really, really unique uh, Palm Sunday, Saturday, Sunday weekend experience. Um, but what I wanted to draw your attention to on the front of this is just, I hope what you'll do is you'll look at this as, okay, here is the guide for me, not for what I'm going to be a part of, but for who I could plug into one of these moments. Is there a particular relative that you could bring to one of these moments? We've got a lot of different opportunities as Easter starts to get geared up around here. And so the question that maybe should be on each one of our minds is, okay, there's a lot of incredible things happening here. Um, Some of our relatives could certainly be involved and we could bring them along, but also some friends, uh, maybe some neighbors uh, invite them to something as meaningful and, and unique as the Journey to the Cross ex- experience that we've been doing over the last couple of years that our students have put on, or or maybe the Easter festival that we just have hundreds and hundreds come and participate in with the egg hunts, and this year it's going to be kicked up another notch in uh, in its unique aspect where not only will we have the egg hunt, but also some some carnival style booths and things like that that the kids will be able to participate in. So just a lot of really neat opportunities that um, that I hope what you'll do is go, okay, well, yeah, we can do this, this, this. Instead of looking at this and go, okay, we can do this, 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 this. Think, wow, I wonder who I could bring here. I wonder, I wonder where they fit in. Who does, who does that? And allow God to put those names on our minds and then seek to figure out where we could plug them in. Where does it make the most sense? And ask God about that. Well, there are some other opportunities on the back, obviously, that you might want to take advantage of. Uh, we're nearing the deadline for the family mission trip to Belize. And so if that's something that you're interested in, wow, this is, this is, uh, this is crunch time. Uh, we've been promoting it for a while, but if that's something that you're interested in, please uh, let me know. I'd love to visit with you about that. Galatians chapter 2, uh, we are in this series, and um, the, um, the, the, the special guest that we had in the Saturday service last week, our student ministry as a part of Impact Weekend, as well as our special guest speaker, Adam, uh, shared with us, gave a message that was focused on how God really meets us and invites us into a relationship with him, even in the midst of our shame and our fear. And if you were a part of that, wow. Uh, what, a, what a great worship moment that we were able to have with the students. Uh, the next day, uh, Ron kicked off this series in Galatians. And so that puts us, in the event that you didn't do double duty, which most people don't, um, on the weekend last weekend, it means we're catching up just a tad, all right? Uh, now, that doesn't mean we're going to go verse by verse through the first two chapters. I know some of you are going to get hungry before we get to the end. 
but what I do think is it would be smart for us to just give a little brief oversight of Galatians before we jump right into chapter 2. And uh, just to say that, you know, Galatians is one of Paul's shorter letters, and yet many have concluded uh, that it is really one of the most uh, 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 important and influential Uh, because of this doctrine of justification by faith, because you see, uh, Paul really argues against legalism. Uh, And for good reason, the church, uh, the early church at this point, as this letter was being constructed probably around 50 AD, uh, was was really uh, divided between Judaism and Christianity. And this, this book becomes very, very important because of its emphasis on salvation by grace through faith alone. As a matter of fact, uh, so much is that theme revered through history uh, that, that this book is called the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation. Um, as Ron uh, alluded to or mentioned last week in his introduction, uh, Luther was so attached to the book that Martin Luther referred to the book of Galatians as his wife. Um, Paul wrote Galatians probably to the southern cities um, uh, around 4950 AD of Galatia. Uh, And that makes it one of the earliest letters that was actually written in the New Testament. The Judaizers in Galatia, those that were teaching that Gentile Christians should convert to Judaism and and really obey the laws of Moses as well, were trying to discredit Paul. And uh, Paul took time in the beginning of this book uh, because he knew he was being discredited by them to just say, listen, this is who I am. This is where I came from. This is what I believe. He vindicates his apostleship and his message. And he, more than anything else, even more than I believe his vindication, what it appears is if Paul is trying to get across to these Christians is that there is to be an understanding of the grace of God. So in chapter 1, what we find him doing is really saying, listen, I'm going I'm, I'm to defend my apostleship, but I also want to remind you that it is all about Jesus. He mentions that Christ became the sacrifice for our sins. Paul also reinforces this truth that uh, salvation is through grace. And he briefly addresses uh, those that have started to return to this uh, uh, bondage of the law. Uh, He begins to warn and expose false teachers and teachings that have crept into the church. And in the first chapter, even, we begin to get a, a, a sense that he's wanting us to understand the difference between the big G gospel and the little G gospel. You see, the word gospel is mentioned several times. In the Greek, that word means good news, and Paul wants his readers to understand that what he is preaching, what saved him, centers around the person of Jesus Christ. And it is a gospel, big G gospel of grace. And that stands in sharp contrast to the little G gospel that was being taught, which was this mixture of faith and works or grace and law. And so in the first 
chapter, that's really what we find, that and a little mix of some more of his testimony. And then we move into chapter 2. So as you can tell, really, if you want to go back, I encourage you to do it if you haven't done it yet. Reread chapter 1. He packs an awful lot in the first 24 verses. Well, he does so in chapter 2 as well. So let's jump right in. Galatians 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and uh, Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they came the right... They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So there's a lot of words here, a lot of names mentioned, and I want us to unpack a couple of those for a moment. One of the names in there, I just, wow, what a guy in Scripture, Barnabas. I like Barnabas. All throughout um, student ministry world for me, we would do these Barnabas encouraging notes, Barnabas notes we would call them, notes of encouragement. We just would do different times through camps or mission trips or just different times on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings. We would encourage students to just be encouragers for each other because that's really the example of Barnabas' life. He was such an encourager. Remember the story in Barnabas in Acts chapter 9? I want to enter into the narrative with you for a minute. This is the point at which Saul becomes Paul, okay? It's the road to Damascus moment. And then all of a sudden, now Saul is no longer playing for this team. Now he's playing for a new team. I mean, it's, it's like Finn, a first order stormtrooper, now on the side of the resistance, okay? It's like somebody who all their life has been brought up to love UT, and now they've seen the light, and, and they, they cheer for Baylor. I mean, it's that kind of moment. Okay, not really. It's way more important than that. But in this account right here, we find something really interesting about Barnabas. Check this out. It says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Paul tries to join them. You see, his heart has been transformed. And it says that they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas, wow, the bridge builder. 
the one who brought in and defended Paul and invested in Paul. It was risky. And you know what? Barnabas had nothing to gain. You've probably been in a relationship maybe like that before where really you took a risk to defend someone, to speak up for someone. And the truth is you really had nothing to gain, but it was the right thing to do. And in this moment, it was the right thing for Barnabas to step in and say, no, I can witness to the fact that this man is changed. And so when we find Barnabas here in Acts chapter 9, we see him making an investment in someone that would write most of the rest of these pages in our Bible. I wonder what would have happened to Paul if the bridge builder Barnabas had not been there to connect him to those first century believers. Another man mentioned in this narrative, Titus, but even Titus, who was with me. What do we know about Titus? We don't know a whole lot about him, but we do know that Paul wrote a letter to him. And in that letter, we have these words, Titus 1, verse 4, to Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now that may not be something that you read over a quiet time in the morning and go, oh, now I'm inspired. But it's really significant for us this evening because what we find here is that there was some unfinished business in Crete. And what did Paul do? He entrusted to Titus the work of God. On this entire island. He said listen. There's, the work has just started there. And now I need you to step in. And I need you to oversee. What, that's, what's ha- what God is doing there. I need you to be there. And oversee what is happening in Crete. As the church is in its infancy. Now what's really interesting. Is that what we find in. First and second century historians. Is a little. Uh, let's see. Follow up you see, to this location. Because Eusebius, a Christian Roman historian, wrote that at the end of the second century, Christianity in Crete had spread well beyond Gortinia and Gnosis, which are the furthest north and southern parts of the island. In other words, it had spread across the island of Crete. Titus did a good job. He's a faithful brother in Christ, a faithful pastor and steward of the gospel. This is a man who had been a convert under Paul's ministry. And you begin to see this line, don't you? Here we go. Here's Barnabas, who's the bridge builder that brings Paul into relationship with the disciples. And Paul sees Titus come to Christ. And then Paul sends Titus away to an island for good reason, to oversee the work there that then 150 years later had exploded from end to end. You can call it teamwork, you can call it collaboration, you can call it whatever you want, but the truth is what we find in these scriptures that we're looking at tonight are men's names that were in relationship with each other, investing in each other, taking the time to cultivate relationships. Why? All for the glory of God. 
And, you know, we've spoken on this before. If you've heard me speak, you've probably heard me talk about it. The question of who are we investing in and who's investing in us? Where are you in the line of mentoring? Whose life is closer to Jesus today because you've been willing to make an investment in them? I had a mentor named Ross Hargrove. He, um, he, was, he was mentoring me as a seventh grader, and, and uh, he challenged me to step into this discipleship course, just as a little seventh grader, you know? And he said, I know all the other people in the class, Randy, are going to be adults, but you, you can do this. Why don't you do this? And so I, I joined in on the class. It was like, I don't know, like a 12, 14, 15-week class, something like that, you know? And so I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm going through all my workbooks and everything. The class was called Evangelism Explosion. I, I learned how to, how to ask questions of people's salvation there in that class. I learned to ask the question, if you were to die today, do you know that you would go to heaven? And then the follow-up question, if you were to die today, and you were to stand before God, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And then I learned the verses that you share with people based on what their responses were in Romans 6.23 and Romans 3.23 and Romans 10.9 and 8 and Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And the list goes on and on and on, tens and tens of verses working through, helping people understand the gospel, the big G gospel. But you know, Ross didn't stop with challenging me to be a part of that class. You know what else he did? He said, hey, Randy, I think you've got this down. Why don't you come with me? And he took me on the street downtown And we shared Christ with people. And he showed me how to share Christ with people that for all practical purposes, our society finds very difficult to love. Ross took an interest in a seventh grader. But you know what? There's a 71-year-old man by the name of Barry St. Clair that I've been doing some ministry with over the last 15 years. And we train youth leaders all around the world. And you know what? Barry invests in me. Even right now, as a 40-something-year-old, Barry is investing in me and helping me be a follower of Jesus, hopefully better today than yesterday. And he asks me great questions, and he challenges me in my faith. Because, you see, here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced that whether or not I'm a pastor or not, I need people asking me good questions and helping me walk along the road that he's already walked, even if but just a few steps ahead. You may say, Randy, I don't, I don't know anyone like that who can help me grow spiritually. You know, I, would, I would encourage you to talk to God about that. See what names come to mind. And you know, even whether or not a name does or does not, my encouragement to you is, Maybe you just write that on the info card tonight. I want to be mentored and drop it in. And shame on us if we don't help you get connected to somebody. If we don't point you in the right direction. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Paul had Titus, whom he had poured his life into, and then sent him on to own a significant part of shepherding and pastoring the body of Christ. And so the question is, who are we pouring our lives into? You may say, well, I got, a, I got a fourth grade boys 
small group that I'm the leader of, or I've got a middle school group of girls that I lead, or I've got a ladies' Bible study group that I work with during the midweek time, or I facilitate a small group of, 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 of people that meet at our house every other week, and I'm the facilitator. And so, um, you know, I, yeah, yeah, Randy, that's, that's kind of, or I, I pray with two other men on Monday mornings at Starbucks, or, I mean, there's all types of answers that we may have as to how that's happened. Well, I'm discipling my, my, my sons, or my daughter's on the side, and we're working through this, 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 this book together. We're working through this book of the Bible together. And I would say, yes, good, press on. Could I just encourage you to ask yourself good questions along the way? Questions like, what's the plan? What's the goal? Where are you headed? Where are you moving toward? Paul said to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete. He knew exactly what his goal for Titus was. Titus was going to be an A-plus class act shepherd of people. An evangelizer on an island that desperately needed to know the big G gospel. Barnabas was a bridge builder. Later in Galatians 2, we find Paul saying that because of Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship was extended to him. In other words, Barnabas' goal for Paul, who he was bringing along early in the faith, so early along, Paul was still probably barely even able to see. But Barnabas had a plan. I've got to connect him to these guys. Ross said to me, Randy, you are only in seventh grade, but I know you can master this material. I believe in you. I want you to really know and be able to explain the gospel. Who in your life right now are you speaking life into? Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. There are people on staff that can help you get there. And whether it's Brandon Graham in our men's ministry or Don Leaf in our women's ministry or Brian Eddie Sanders in the marriage ministry or Linda Morrison working with our small groups ministry, whether it's Destin and our students or Christy and our children, we have people on staff who would love to help you make those connections. We need to be spurred on and we need to spur others on. But we can't do that from a distance. And I would say if you're here tonight going, wow, I'm not sure exactly where I fit in on either side. Let us help you. That verse in Hebrews continues, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, even though I realize you may need to do less and less based on how busy you are. It's an interesting verse. That's not what it says, is it? says, no, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Paul didn't give, or whoever the writer of Hebrews was, did not give an escape clause here. God doesn't give an escape clause. He doesn't say, well, you know what? You don't really have to do that. You don't have to focus in on doing life together if, you know, you're working 70 hours. I mean, that's, you know... You got, you got a really stressful job, so just chill on the whole, you know. You don't have to worry about, I mean, my goodness, you got two kids on select sports. You don't have time for this. Oh, you know, really, I mean, well, here's what I would tell you. 
five hours of social media, you got to work on that. I mean, that, it takes a lot to get all that in. To get in five hours a day, I mean, you don't have time. I mean, really, social media, that's real. I mean, you, you're connecting. I mean, come on. This chapter in Galatians also reveals that it isn't always easy. It wasn't easy for them. Even when we are doing life together, it says, But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Let's just pause right here. I know it's just a translation thing, but I'm not sure the two words, circumcision party, should ever be together. Y'all are so tired tonight. Moving on. Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Sometimes confrontation is necessary when we're in relationship with each other. Sometimes we may even know that in the back of our head, and it keeps us away from building relationships because we don't want to move into controversy. We don't want to be involved in confrontation. But it's in those moments that God refines us and sharpens us and teaches us and makes us all better. Paul was calling Peter out. You see, these uh, influential Jews showed up who believed in a grace plus mentality, a grace plus theology. It was grace plus works. It was grace plus dietary restrictions. It was grace plus circumcision. And Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles all of a sudden. And Paul was so good. He was so, this is so good. I mean, you you got to jump in this and dive in and really see what happens here. You know what Paul does here? He does a phenomenal parenting maneuver. I've been teaching parenting classes for a long time. And you know what I find one of the biggest challenges as parents we face? Parenting the behavior instead of the heart. You see, we'll we'll parent based on the behavior that our child has just exhibited instead of taking a step back and going, whoa, what's in their heart? What's in my kid's heart that moved them to that place? Whether they're 4 or 14, what's in their heart right now? And you know what Paul does? He goes to the heart he digs deep. I mean, yeah, sure, he addresses the hypocrisy. I mean, he deals with it, with it. but there's something else going on. There's a deeper issue. You see, this, this Jewish delegation, they could have cared less what these Gentile Christians were or were not doing. It was what the Jewish Christians were free to do that bothered them. So Paul steps in after addressing Peter and Barnabas for their hypocrisy. And I mean, really, I mean, that's so silly that he even got to that place, right? Because what happened in Acts 10? I mean, the whole bed sheet thing and the whole, all the animals on it. And hey, God's basically telling Peter, listen, here's all the stuff that you can eat. Bon appetit. Right? The whole Cornelius story. Hey, go back and read that. Acts chapter 10. I mean, that, that was in the rearview mirror already for Peter. He should have known better. Peter knew better. Being concerned about the circumcision party was ridiculous. 
and his actions, really they were so very harmful for the cause of Christ. Because what did they tell those Galatians? Those young believers, all of a sudden, what they told them was, well, wait a minute, what are, what are we? Are we second-class Christians? I mean, are we not worthy? Is there something else that we're supposed to be doing? Now all of a sudden you've backed away from us? Have you not told us the rest of the story? Grace and what? And Paul sees this and he says, hey, whether Jew or Gentile, here's the reality. We are justified by faith. Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth. We're going to the end of the chapter here, and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ not a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. Here's where the worship songs come in. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If it's not just Jesus and he's enough, then we didn't need Jesus. Paul confronted hypocrisy, but he also confronted bad theology, and he confronted sin. And you know, the big C church, I'm not talking about just this church, but the big C church, we struggle with confrontation. There's some challenges with it, right? I mean, there's the challenge, just the reality that we don't. Or that we selectively do it. And that's what's gotten us so majorly in trouble with the homosexual community. I mean, let's be honest. It's it's the big C church's failure, you see, to confront in a New Testament way. That then causes the outside world to go, whoa, why are you making such a big deal about this? I mean... You know, you got, you got adulterers that are still leading your small group and they're singing in your choir. And you, you, but you're going to choose to call us out on this. Hey, you are hateful. We, we even fail to dig deep and confront when someone presents their opinion that's not the gospel. And we know it's not right. And we know the gospel goes in contrary contrary to it, but you know what? We get so scared in the conversation because, well, there's a relationship at stake. I don't want to lose that. Well, there's the unity of the small group. We can't talk about it. We just all need to sing and hum kumbaya together and we'll be fine. That's why we tell our small group leaders, listen, stick to the truth of God's word because your opinion isn't sacred or infallible. We confront for the wrong reasons. We confront with the wrong attitudes. Maybe it's because we just don't like the person or we're trying to elevate ourselves. We confront without a plan. 
I, I, I remember so very clearly in the church that I was growing up in, uh, my, you know, I've told you this before, my dad was an alcoholic, and uh, for a period of time, our, our church lost their worship leader. And, uh, and my dad had a great voice, and uh, he could keep a beat, and uh, he could pull all the music together. And so my dad became the worship leader for our church for a period of time. And um, the, the, the problem with that was they asked him to do that, but what my family knew was Monday through Friday, my dad was an alcoholic that we were always scared of. And uh, he pulled it all together on the weekend, but during the week he was a mess. And eventually church leaders discovered what was happening there, and uh, they were concerned about the hypocrisy. And so they met with him, and they said, listen, we can't have you do this anymore. As an eighth grader, I was really, I guess, more concerned about our family's safety and my dad's health and getting him help. But I, I understood what their concerns were, too. But over time, it really hurt my dad because, you see, they had the confrontation, but they didn't make a plan for how to help him. In this passage, Paul confronts Peter and Barnabas. But the guys obviously don't allow it to be a relationship destroyer. Did you know you can do that? Did you know you confront without destroying the relationship? You know, some of us, we haven't talked to relatives in years and years, right? Because of one thing that happened. In Acts 15, 36, it describes Paul inviting Barnabas to go with him to visit all the other towns where ministry had happened to see how they were doing. Was the relationship destroyed? No. He wouldn't have asked him to do it. In 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, um, here's what Peter says about Paul. It says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them on these matters. What's he doing? He's affirming Paul. Relationship wasn't destroyed. There's too much at stake, you see, to not repair, to not restore. So here's a final question. It's this big circumcision party that happened here in Galatians 2. A lot of different people involved in the whole experience. And, and so my question is, where did the Holy Spirit take you? Who do you identify with tonight? You, you identify maybe with, oh, I, I don't know. Maybe do you identify with the Judaizers? Have you somehow created your own gospel? Maybe it's a gospel that got handed down to you through relatives or through your family history or through friends. And the reality is, you know what? It's not Jesus plus all this other stuff, this other baggage. No, it's just Jesus. And what God is reminding you through his Holy Spirit tonight is, you know what? It's all about Jesus. And we don't have to attach anything else to it. Maybe it's about Peter and Barnabas. And the question that we would ask is, who or what is our greatest influence? And who are we influencing? Are, are we more concerned about what others think of us? I, I think in, in the Peter and Barnabas 
examples in particular. Here's what happens. Here are these men that immediately shrank back. Whoa, wait a minute. Let's not do this because they're looking. And the question is, who are you most influenced by? Are you most influenced by what Christ has called you to do or by what everybody else is expecting? Are you most influenced by what Christ is calling you to or are you more concerned about the eyes that are watching? In that moment, Peter and Barnabas were more concerned about the eyes that were watching them. What about Paul? Maybe what God is saying tonight is, hey, you know what? For your kids, parenting tip, it's a freebie. Go past the behavior. Paul did a great job here with his spiritual kids. And go to their heart. With Paul, Peter, and Barnabas, maybe it's just the reminder that we've got to be intentionally involved with each other. And where does that leave you? I mean, we have small groups that you can jump into. We've got classes that you can attend. We've got mentoring that happens here on a regular basis. I just, I just have to ask you the question, where are you in the chain? You got somebody in front of you and somebody behind you? Can we help you with that? I think it's what the church is for. Hopefully you found yourself in the party somewhere. Let's pray. God, tonight we come to you recognizing that it certainly is Christ and Christ alone. That it is all about Jesus and how you gave us everything when you gave us Jesus. And so because of that, the first thing that we're going to do as we close out our worship is, God, we're going to get and set our hearts right in preparation for communion. To observe and remember and be so very grateful that it's just Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything. We can't do enough to add to it that Jesus is enough. And so God, even as we take the bread and we drink the juice, we are reminded and impacted that Jesus is enough. God, we thank you for that gift. All month long, we're going to be thanking you for that. God, may it spur us into a life that thanks you for Jesus every day. And then, God, for the rest of our time in worship, God, will you just remind us of what it is that you wanted to say to us tonight? None of us are in here by accident. You've got something you want us to walk out of here with. And so, God, will you open up our ears that we may hear and respond. There are cards in the seat back in front of you. I encourage you to take it out, whether you're a visitor or not. It's a useful communication piece to say, hey, I'm new here. This is who I am. I'd like to know more information about the church. Or, hey, I need somebody to help me. In my spiritual walk. Will you get in touch with me? I just, I'm just kind of struggling here. 
I'm feeling like about by myself, and I don't want to be. The New Testament church was not about going it alone, and it's not that way now either. So help me out, will you? Maybe you just write that down. There's a, there are offering boxes in the back attached to the wall as well. Maybe you would just use this as a time to worship through giving. Whatever it is that you choose to do, will you just be open to how God chooses to spend the rest of these few moments with you?